This is Cultured Hollywood for smart people for Friday, February 7th, 2020. I'm Nico. I'm your host. We're talking movies, television, music, and so much more in a way that smart people can enjoy them. Happy Friday. It's our pre-Oscar edition of the program, and I am coming down from an illness. Oh, Nikki had a tummy ache this week. <laughs> um, actually, I think it's the coronavirus, if I'm being honest with you. <laughs> Stick a fork in me now, ladies and gentlemen. I'm like Joe Biden after the Iowa caucus. It's over for me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I-, I was sick, so I'm still a little congested. Uh, I may have to blow my nose midway through this program, and I will try to make that as easy on your ears as possible. Just a little throat nose thing. The sinuses are a bit congested. The common cold, I think, is what they call it, but I was down for the count this week (laughs) after that heartbreaking diagnosis. You know, I have this weird thing this morning. This might be too much information. I I just want to put the call out there because I don't know who else to ask. Um, So someone, please, if you have any information that would be helpful, please get a hold of me. Uh, Have you all ever had a pimple inside your nose? Because I think that's what I got this week. So I woke up and I had like tenderness on the soft part of my nose. Not like near the nostril, but like towards the top. Right in, you know, where the cartilage is. And I'm like, wow, that's odd. It feels like I have a pimple there, but there's no head. There's no bump. It's like a little red in the area, but nothing to be popped. But it felt like a pretty gnarly pimple. And then after further examination, uh, you know, with my finger up there, I discovered a giant bump on the inside. Is that even possible? Does anyone know, like, is there a dermatologist out there that could clarify to me how pimples work? How do you get a pimple? I guess there's skin on the inside of your nose, right? I mean, it's, it's fleshier skin. It's a bit more, it's moister, I guess, would be the word. It's more moist than the outside. I mean, can you have like a a clogged pore with pus in it on the, I guess you can. Anyway, it's just high enough and large enough in my nostril to uh, be causing me some discomfort, but not within uh, close range to be popped. So uh, I guess I just have to live with this now. I've got a pimple on the inside of my nose, and uh, yet again, I am perplexing the medical community. (laughs) Let's talk about the Oscars. Um, The Oscars are happening this Sunday, and I wanted to make some radical predictions, because why make any predictions if they are not of the radical variety? Those are the only predictions that are worth making, the reckless ones, the, uh, the long shots, the shocking upsets. After all, what good is being right if everyone else isn't also wrong? Um, <laughs> Look, Oscar season has been incredibly boring. Bland, blase, let's call a spade a spade. It's been a boring-ass Oscar season. 
That's not to say 2019 wasn't an incredible movie year. It was an incredible movie year. I would call it the best movie year of the decade and put it in the running for best movie year since the turn of the millennium. It was that good. I enjoyed most movies I saw this year, whether it was on a streaming service or in the theaters. And I also think if you look at this crop of nominees... I'm talking about the nine movies nominated for Best Picture and some of the other movies that got love in the lesser categories. It's been a good year for quote-unquote Oscar movies. You know what I mean? Big budget, mainstream, um, prestige, auteur entertainment. It's been a good year for those types of movies. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, The Irishman, something like, you know, even 1917 are generally considered Oscar bait as in old white people will enjoy voting for it in February, but they were also movies that had a lot of mainstream appeal. And I think that's awesome. My favorite movies of the year were also the Academy's favorite movies of the year. So I look at this list, and I was pleasantly surprised by it when it was first released. I talked about that on the podcast. And I was looking forward to an exciting Oscar season with a bunch of movies that I really liked going head-to-head in major categories. Here's the problem, though. When you have such a high level of competence, when you have such a high level of talent at the top of the crop, consensus tends to build a lot easier. I was thinking about this in terms of the NFL this year, right? San Francisco 49ers, Kansas City Chiefs face off in the Super Bowl. Those two teams were undoubtedly the two best teams in football this year. And there is virtually no argument to the contrary. You could maybe make the case for the Ravens. You could maybe make the case for the Saints or the Packers. But I would say 95% of football fans agree the Chiefs, Niners deserve to be in the Super Bowl. That is the consensus. When you have such strong consensus and when you have such talent at the top of the league, well, the playoffs are going to get pretty fucking boring. And that's what happened this year in the NFL. It was a boring-ass playoff run. The Titans made it fun for a while. Uh, you know, that the, the Texans game against the Bills is pretty fun. The Chiefs did trail by double digits in all three of their playoff games, but they ended up winning by a margin of 10 points in all three of their playoff games. What you had were two incredibly dominant franchises doing what they were meant to do, which is dominate the rest of the league. We had a high level of talent, but a low level of entertainment value upsets make this stuff fun that's what's happening with the oscars this year i am afraid you have a tremendous amount of consensus at the top of the pile 1917 once upon a time in hollywood marriage story the irishman parasite everyone loves these movies there is virtually no argument to the contrary There is no Green Book this year. There is no Shape of Water this year. There's no Three Billboards this year. There isn't even something like Moonlight this year. Controversial movies that can contend in the Best Picture category, play spoiler to the frontrunner, and drive conversation. Everyone hated Green Book, right? We talked about that a ton last year. The internet was rife with think pieces about the problematic nature of Green Book. You know what? That was a genuine surprise. I wasn't happy about it. You weren't happy about it. But it was genuine intrigue. It was genuine shock. It was genuine conversation. And the internet was a better place for it. Weak movie years result in more interesting Oscar seasons. I guess the closest thing you have this year is Joker. 
But even Joker isn't considered a Best Picture contender. It may win a few of the minor categories. Joaquin Phoenix will take home Best Actor. And uh, look, the internet is is not in uh, in need of, of any more discourse on Joker. But that's the closest thing we have. Other than that, 1917, The Prohibitive Frontrunner. Eh, people like that movie. I liked that movie. I have my problems with it. I have my qualms. I wouldn't vote for it. But that is a deserving Best Picture winner. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, a deserving Best Picture winner. Parasite, deserving Best Picture winner. Aside from Jojo Rabbit and Joker, eh, these are all pretty damn good movies. So what do we talk about? Well, we hope for some intrigue. We hope for a surprise. We hope for something like Olivia Colman winning Best Actress last year or Moonlight winning Best Picture in 2016. We hope and we pray to be wrong. I'm not so sure that's going to happen. Let's talk about the Best Picture category, right? I wrote down um, some narratives that I will be following on Oscar night. Of course, the Oscars this Sunday, 8 p.m., ABC. Please watch along with me. I could use the support. <laughs> and, uh, you know, good on the the Academy, by the way, for moving this thing up. It left me a lot less time to prepare. I have been cramming all of my Oscar movies into the last week. I've watched more fucking foreign movies and documentaries than any human being should ever endure in a in a 48-hour period. <laughs> but that is what I have done for you, the listener and consumer here on TooManyThoughtsMedia.com. Um, but I am happy that you uh, that you decided to move this thing up because Oscar season always feels three weeks too long. It always feels like we're dragging this thing out way too far. Uh, we started with the Globes first weekend of January. We're ending with the Oscars second weekend of February. Perfect. One month and one week. Good on you. I hope they don't change this anytime soon. Um, so I wrote down some narratives that I'll be following. The big one is the best picture category. Um, and I just have some questions about this, right? Because 1917 is considered the favorite and I think it deserves to be considered the favorite. Took home the Golden Globe for Best Drama. Took home the Producers Guild Award. Took home the BAFTA last weekend. Sam Mendes is most likely going to take home Best Director. This makes sense to me. Here's my only question. Why is Parasite considered the number two? Where is this narrative coming from? Why are prognosticators so certain about Parasite in the two slot? Because I've been doing as much research as I possibly can, more research than the average bear. And I can't see the case for Parasite. I really can't. It took home the Screen Actors Guild Award for Best Ensemble, despite being nominated in none of the the individual actor categories. Wins the big one at the SAG Awards. Wins the Writers Guild Award for Best Screenplay and is considered the frontrunner at the Oscars for Best Original Screenplay. And I think that's it. Is there another major award I'm missing? Because again, 1917 won the Producers Guild, 1917 won the BAFTA, 1917 won the Directors Guild, and 1917 won the Golden Globe. Parasite didn't win any of those. The only motion picture award it won, best motion picture award that it won, was best foreign language film at the Globes. That's it. 
It has not won Best Motion Picture at any of the major award shows this year. So what am I missing? I understand I am not as in tune with the Oscars as most people covering them. I am in suburban Connecticut, not in the greater Los Angeles area. So far be it from me to question these prognosticators. But it feels like, and this is just my gut, it feels like some of the parasite momentum, if not manufactured, feels anecdotal. Right? Parasite wins the SAG Award. It received a thunderous applause in the room. Actors love that movie. Standing ovation, a lot of excitement and energy in the room when it won the award. I believe it earned two standing ovations during that award show. It feels like that's the moment people are getting hung up on. That moment is perhaps the greatest evidence there is for a parasite upset in the best picture category. There's enthusiasm, there's respect, there's admiration building in the industry. It's an intangible thing. And it feels like Oscar experts, quote unquote, are getting this sensation just hanging out in Los Angeles, talking to industry people, reading the anonymous ballots in the Hollywood Reporter. There is an intangible energy, a momentum building around this movie that is imperceptible to someone in suburban Connecticut following this stuff as rigidly as I am. Like, I don't have that evidence. And look, there is perhaps an intangible element to this. I did not predict Green Book last year. And clearly there was resentment towards Roma, resentment towards Netflix uh, that led to a Green Book upset. And a similar thing could happen this year. If we stuck to the math, if we stuck to the numbers, Green Book would not have been the odds-on favorite. I think you could say the same thing this year. And... Look, maybe you're right. Maybe you're picking up on something I don't have access to. But I'm going to make this bold prediction here. And I'm going to clip this and put it on Twitter so I can show off later. Um, (laughs) And then when I'm proven wrong, I can just delete the tweet and no one will ever know. Because no one listens to this podcast anyway, right? Um, I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is going to win Best Picture. And that is a sizzling hot take, and I'm probably wrong about it, but if you were to pick one movie to upset 1917, which again, I think deserves to be the front runner, the obvious choice is Once Upon a Time. I see in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood what y'all see in Parasite, except I seem to have the math on my side. Everyone's forgetting, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood won the Critics' Choice Award back in December, Best Motion Picture. Won the Golden Globe for Best Comedy or Musical. Won Best Screenplay at the Golden Globes. Beating out Parasite, Marriage Story, Irishman, Jojo Rabbit. The only reason why it didn't win Best Screenplay at the Writers Guild Awards is because Quentin Tarantino is not a member of the Writers Guild. This movie has just as good a shot in the original screenplay category as Parasite does. I know Parasite just took home the BAFTA for original screenplay, so now I guess it's considered the frontrunner. Look at the history of the BAFTAs. The BAFTAs have not accurately predicted Best Picture since 12 Years a Slave in 2013. They not only frequently get this thing wrong, <laughs> they, they get it wrong more than they get it right. They are a bad predictor. So 1917, a British movie, Parasite, an international movie, 
The Brits love their international cinema. Quentin Tarantino has one best original screenplay at the Oscars twice over. Could make it a third time this year, tying Woody Allen for the most in that category. Dude, I would not be surprised at all. Best screenplay oftentimes is a better bellwether for best picture than best director is. We've seen that year and year again. The only time in recent memory where the best picture winner did not also win best screenplay was The Shape of Water in 2017. And again, that was an anomaly. If you think Tarantino can win best original screenplay, which I think he can, then he deserves to be, at the very least, the shortest underdog in the best picture category. Like, you think back to Moonlight in 2016. Moonlight upsets La La Land. Everyone was shocked by that, right? La La Land, the second it came out, was destined for best picture. Like, at least Moonlight won the Golden Globe. At least Moonlight won some screenplay awards. Moonlight had legitimate momentum that we had not yet recognized as momentum. This Parasite thing doesn't feel like Moonlight. This Parasite thing, to me, feels like Get Out. If y'all remember, I placed a, a, a healthy wager on Get Out back in 2017. Same exact deal. A lot of momentum building around that movie. It's going to win the Screenplay Award. It just took home the Independent Spirit Award the night before. This, this, this town loves Jordan Peele. Get Out loses to the more traditional movie, Shape of Water. I'm telling you, if there is a case to be made for an underdog, the case is not for Parasite. It is for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And then you think to the rules of Oscar voting. You think about this preferential balloting process where voters do not just vote for their favorite movie of the list. They rank all nine of the movies on the list. And movies that are closer to the top on most ballots get preferential treatment to the movies that are controversial at the top of some ballots and at the bottom of others. Movies that are generally liked have an advantage to the movies that are often loved or hated. Again, there is general admiration for Parasite, but I feel like 1917, eh, I could see some people putting that in the ninth slot on their list. I don't see many people putting Once Upon a Time in Hollywood in the ninth spot of their list. And you look at these anonymous Oscar ballots, which don't mean anything. They are simply one of a sea of 9,000. But people love Once Upon a Time. People love Quentin Tarantino. And people love movies about the movies. Checks all the boxes. Old white Academy voters... This is their movie. It's either this or 1917. Parasite, I don't see it. It is no coincidence that no foreign film has ever taken home Best Picture. And there's no coincidence that last year, Roma didn't take home Best Picture despite having a ton of momentum on its side. I just don't see it. I don't see what y'all are seeing in Parasite. And I think you go on to your sports book of choice, if you want to place a wager on Once Upon a Time, I see it now on Bavada.lv. Eight to one, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You could do a whole lot worse. That is some solid value, eight to one. Parasite is plus 250, 1917 minus 230. I really, really, truly believe Once Upon a Time could, could pull off the upset here. And no one's talking about it, and that puzzles me. 
and it is not my bias. Yes, I adore that movie. Yes, I would vote for it for Best Picture, but I do think history is on its side. The stats are on its side. Oscar season so far has made this thing a two-horse race, and uh, if 1917 doesn't win, I don't see a South Korean movie starring no recognizable movie stars directed by a guy that no one has ever heard of is going to win this thing. As much as I love Parasite, I don't want to disparage that movie. But um, I know the Oscars. I feel like I have my finger on the pulse of these things. Do not be surprised. And I will rue this day <laughs> when Parasite makes a clean sweep, takes home six Oscars, and uh, I look like a fucking jackass on Twitter. Um. Anyway, what else? What else? So obviously that's the big race. That's what everybody's talking about. I think... Um, you know, 1917 could just sweep everything and it'll be the most boring Oscars ever. Uh, maybe this is some, uh, wishful thinking on my part, but there you have it. I I don't want to go down my entire ballot. Uh, I will tweet out, I guess, um, some sort of graphic of my Oscar predictions and then you can follow along with me. Um, I, I just, a a couple narratives that we're going to follow. This is a hostless Oscars. No host for the second year in a row. Jimmy Kimmel did it for a while. Looked like he may do it every year. And then he just stopped doing it. Kevin Hart was invited last year. Y'all know how that went. Kevin Hart was fired. They went no host. It was as streamlined an Oscars as I can remember. It was an incredibly entertaining Oscars filled with movies and speeches. And that's it. Not much filler. Not much uh, cringeworthy comedy bits. I am curious to see if they will repeat... Um, uh, this year, the, the, the level of quality on that broadcast, this is, um, I don't know. This is, this is, I I still think a gamble. I still think this is a gamble. I think like people watch these things because they enjoy a monologue and they enjoy a guy or a girl who can capture a zeitgeist and lampoon movie stars. That's why people really enjoyed the Ricky Gervais uh, Golden Globes hosting job. That's why people like Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. Um, we'll see. We'll we'll see. I mean, the strategy of the Oscars in years past, and I have agreed with this for the most part, is play to your base. Right? Don't spend time getting audience members that are not interested in the first place. Maintain your base. Do a Bernie. Don't do a Joe Biden. And that's what they've done. They have rejiggered their award show for movie fans and for people that follow it with the intensity that you and I do. So more speeches, more montages, more movies. That's what we want. And hopefully that's what we'll get this weekend. Um, Cynthia Erivo is a really interesting person. There is an EGOT watch, Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony in the mix for Cynthia Erivo. If she wins either Best Original Song or Best Actress. She's up for two awards this year at the Oscars. She takes home either one. Cynthia Riva will become the youngest EGOT winner of all time. I absolutely love this girl. I just watched the movie Harriet because I made a solemn vow to watch every single movie nominated for an Academy Award this year. Uh, I did not like Harriet all that much, but I thought she was remarkable in it. Uh, similar to Renee Zellweger and Judy, although I thought her performance in Harriet was actually better than Renee Zellweger. Um, she is quite a talent. I first saw her in Widows two years ago as the babysitter, and she was just tremendous in that movie. She's a, a, a favorite of 
stage li- or live theater fans. Uh, she's from, I think, London, right? I think she's a she's a West End girl. And then she ended up uh, making a name for herself on Broadway. EGOT in the mix. I feel like we talk about this every year, though. Um, if she is going to pull off the EGOT, it will not be in Best Lead Actress. It may be in Best Original Song. I also don't see that happening. I think Elton John is probably going to win that one. But if you're looking for uh, a, a potential EGOT winner on Oscar night, that's the category to keep an eye on. I also want to note that although we're not in for any major surprises in the acting categories, we are certainly in for some major acceptance speeches in the acting categories. Unless we get something like Olivia Coleman last year upsetting Glenn Close. Here are your winners. Uh, Best Supporting Actress, Laura Dern. Eh, It's probably going to be preachy and boring. Whatever. Best Supporting Actor, Pitt. Brad Pitt. From the beginning of January to now mid-February, this has been Brad Pitt season. It has been the Pitt coronation parade. I could not be more thrilled about this. I think... If I were given a vote, Joe Pesci is my performance of the year. He would take home Best Supporting Actor. But uh, I'm just so happy that Brad Pitt has been at every major award show this year, killing it with acceptance speeches. I don't know if you all saw the the Screen Actors Guild Awards. Pitt had an incredible SAG speech. Just a tight three minutes. Talked about his failed marriage with Jennifer Aniston. uh, Talked about... Quentin Tarantino's foot fetish Pitt has just been perusing the streets of Los Angeles workshopping his Oscar material like a comic getting ready for his HBO special you know it's really been something to behold hilarious at every stop along the way Brad Pitt is the big winner of award season this is his final speech can't wait for uh, some more foot fetish jokes Um, then you have in lead actress you got uh, Renee Zellweger, who's going to take home the award for Judy, a movie that I do not like and a performance that I don't quite understand. But that woman is fucking insane. And I love when fucking insane people are given microphones on national television to say whatever the hell is on their mind. Uh, that'll be a good time. And then you have in lead actor, uh, the godfather of Hollywood insanity, Joaquin Phoenix, who again has just been setting fire to the business this past uh, month and a half. Everywhere he's gone, he is going to win yet another Oscar for the character of the Joker. This is his first Oscar, but will be the second awarded to the Joker character behind Heath Ledger in 2008. Joaquin, I'm sure he will be stoned out of his mind. I'm sure he will have something to say about the environment about gender parity, about diverse workplaces. Uh, Man, this guy's just always in the clouds. He never doesn't look high. Another treat. Just, here's what we're in store for. Two insane people. One woman that I think we all pretty much love and Laura Dern finally taking home an Oscar. And uh, and Brad fucking Pitt. Ready to to lay down (laughs) some one-liners. I'm in. Can't wait for the acceptance speeches. Um, I also wanted to mention the Irishman here. Because again, I I went down these picks. I I put some money on this. 
And this is actually maybe a good time to transition because you know me. I am uh, a recreational gambler. I occasionally like to lay down some money in Las Vegas, and I am here to help you because I enjoy money, and I'm sure my listeners enjoy money too. If you're anything like me, you enjoy some extra pocket change to, uh, to spend on the misses over the weekend. So I got some advice for you. I have some hot tips. MyBookie.ag has a prop bet. How many Oscars will the Irishman take home this weekend? The over-under is half an Oscar, so zero or less, minus 125, one or more, like a zero or less, zero wins is minus 125, one or more, even money. This is my lock of the year. Go with zero. The Irishman is not winning anything, and it's so bizarre to say that because, again, literally two months ago, the Irishman was the favorite to win Best Picture. Odds on favorite. I think in some sports books you got it at even money. And now, like A Star is Born last year, like Lady Bird two years ago, The Irishman is the well-respected, beloved movie that had all the momentum going for it before award season started and for some reason just didn't register with voters in the way we thought it would Martin Scorsese, Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci, Al Pacino, you just assume there's at least two to three golden trophies in the mix. I don't think there's going to be a one. Now, you may blame this on Netflix backlash. I think that's certainly an element. Uh, I also think there is something to be said for peaking too early. There is something to be said when uh, everyone just assumes the Irishman's going to win, yet not a single vote has been cast, not a single nomination has been announced. I just think A Star is Born, Lady Bird, Irishman, three years in a row. Those are three movies that uh, were considered front runners, or at least in the mix for Best Picture. And uh, I believe Star is Born will be the only one to take home an Oscar, and that was in the Best Original Song category. So that is, for me, the best value bet on the board. Minus 125, Irishman gets zero. The only one I could see it winning in conceivably, is Best Visual Effects. Nominees in Best Visual Effects are Avengers Endgame, The Irishman, Lion King, 1917, Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, Cross-Off, Star Wars. Uh, The other four, I think, are all in the mix. Um, You can get The Irishman at 5-1 to in that category. That is, according to mybookie.ag, the most likely Irishman victory. So um, you could conceivably bet both ways. You could bet... Zero wins at minus 125, and then best visual effects at 5-1, to one, and then you have both of your bases covered. Uh, Avengers Endgame, I, I don't think this wins. It, it was the front runner last year for best visual effects, and it did not win. I'm talking about Avengers Infinity War uh, for that particular Oscars. I think Lion King at 8-1 to one is pretty good value. That's what I'm seeing right now. Uh, won the Visual Effects Society award for best... Uh, I forget, they split it up. It's like supporting effects and lead effects. It's kind of weird. Um, and the Irishman actually took home supporting effects. I do think 1917 is your front runner. If I had to guess, 1917 will take home that trophy. Uh, but that is the only one that I see being a victory for the Irishman. I don't think it's going to win production design. I don't think it's going to win editing. I don't think it's going to win best supporting actor. Uh, Marty has no shot at director. Screenplay, I think that is 
perhaps the third most likely winner in best adapted screenplay. I'm not seeing it, man. I'm not seeing it. Zero for the Irishman. That is my prediction on that front. And uh, let me give you some. Let me give you some more hot tips. Again, stay away from the major categories unless you go Once Upon a Time at eight to one in Best Picture, Best Adapted Screenplay. I think Jojo Rabbit probably wins it. Little Women is plus one eighty five. It won uh, a number of screenplay awards leading up to the Writers Guild, which gave it to Jojo Rabbit. I think that makes it a foregone conclusion. Little Women is another movie that I wish gained more momentum. One of my favorite movies of the year. Best Animated Feature is an interesting one. You have Claws, Toy Story 4, Missing Link, I Lost My Body, and How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. Wouldn't you know it? I watched all five of these things. (laughs) Man, what a Tuesday that was. Laying in bed sick with a head cold, watching children's movies all day. Uh, Toy Story 4 is the best movie. Toy Story 4 was considered the favorite until this week when Claws took home the BAFTA. So now Claws is the favorite, minus 140, Toy Story plus 105. My prediction would probably be Claws, not because of the BAFTA win, but uh, strangely enough, because of the Annie Awards win. The Animated Movie Awards had Claws in a clean sweep. It won seven Annie Awards this year. I think that, to me, is a stronger case for it to win Best Animated Feature um, than uh, the BAFTA win. Toy Story took home the Producers Guild Award. I believe it also took home the Critics' Choice Award. It is a Pixar movie. The Academy loves Pixar. The only other sequel to ever win Best Animated Feature is Toy Story 3 back in 2010. Plus 105 is not terrible value. Um, I, I actually think both bets are okay. I mean, anytime you can get this at a coin flip and you can get something under minus 200 in terms of value... Uh, it, it's a pretty good bet at the Oscars. Very rarely do you see a price that is that reasonable. Uh, I think either can win. Missing Link, though, at plus 950, won the Golden Globe, is uh, is from a studio that is well-respected, also made the movie Kubo and the Two Strings. Missing Link at plus 950, eh, if you're into long shots, which I know we all are, would not be surprised. Absolutely would not be surprised. Missing Link plus 950. Um, By the way, I watched Missing Link. I did not like that movie. I thought it was the weakest of the five. But um, I thought LeBron James was in it. Isn't that weird? (laughs) I remember seeing trailers for this thing. Because it's about like a Yeti that a scientist discovers in like Washington or something. He's like in Seattle just hanging out. Maybe it's Oregon. I don't remember. And, uh, you know, like these uh, these uh, anti-evolution people, these anti-Darwin people try hunting this thing down and killing it. And I'm like, wait a minute. Didn't LeBron produce this movie? And then turns out, no, that's a movie called Smallfoot, which is also about a Yeti. And it's also animated. And apparently it's also not very good. But they came out around the same time. So I was very confused when LeBron James was not in Missing Link. But yeah, not a good movie either way. And I assume Smallfoot was nothing to write home about either. Um, best costume design. I think Little Women is the heavy favorite. Plus two seven, minus two seventy five is probably right. I think Jojo Rabbit. You can get it at three to one is a pretty good bet. The Jojo Rabbit momentum is an interesting thing. 
that's another one that people are talking about, and there's not much evidence to suggest it's going to do well, um, but it did take home the uh, Writers Guild Award, and uh, it is a traditional movie made by a guy that people like in Taika Waititi. JoJo at three to one is okay. It's a period piece. Little Women obviously is the showier costume movie, but it could definitely win that there. Three to one is not bad value. Same with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood at five to one. Uh, best documentary, I think you're actually getting pretty good value on American Factory, which is the favorite minus 130. For Sama, the PBS production, which is one of the most depressing things I've ever watched in my life, is plus 165 because it just took home the BAFTA last week. Again, I, I have said this now at least five times about the BAFTAs. Not a great indicator for the Oscars. A little overrated as far as Oscar prognosticators are concerned. American Factory, produced by Barack and Michelle Obama. It is an American movie. Just like Kobe two years ago, he took home Best Animated Short at the Oscars. They love a name. The Academy loves a celebrity. I I don't see American Factory losing this. And, you know, famous last words, I suppose. Minus 130 is actually really good value. I I would bet that one. Um, Best Film Editing, I like Parasite at plus 110. Ford versus Ferrari is minus 120. Ford vs. Ferrari is a movie that could conceivably clean up in the technical categories. It could do well in sound editing, sound mixing. It can do well in uh, in film editing. 1917 is surprisingly not nominated here. That would be the favorite otherwise. But I, I, I do think Parasite, again, has the momentum on its side. I would take it plus 110, slight underdog. Um, and I think that is it. Yeah, I think that's it. Uh, oh, 1917 in production design, plus 200. If you are unlike me and you don't see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood doing well at the Oscars this year, then minus 150 is too much money to be laying in the best production design category. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is the favorite there. I would take 1917 as an underdog if I thought Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was not going to do well. But I do think it's going to do well and uh, see previous monologue. All right. That's it. The Oscars. This weekend on ABC. Let's take a break. When we come back, more from the world of popular culture. It's cultured. (sighs) All right, that's over. (laughs) I need a drink of water after that. Hold on. Ah, Not good for the sinuses. I would not recommend going 40 minutes straight reading Oscar odds on a podcast when recovering from a head cold. That's an old wives tale. Uh, Let's see. Well, Kirk Douglas died this week, didn't he? 103 years old. I almost don't know what to say about that because 103 is such an incredible life and I failed to see why we should be sad about that. That is really awesome. Um, I probably shouldn't say this on a podcast because this could probably get me fired from a job at some point, but I'll say it anyway. Uh, I have some fucked up friends and uh, these friends and I occasionally uh, will uh, make predictions on celebrity deaths. These exist online, the celebrity death pools. We we never like submit them anywhere and we don't wager money on them, but we'll often do a fun little exercise where we look at all of the old people poised to kick the bucket in Hollywood and pick like five or ten names. And there was one year where I got like three right. It was insane. I had like Debbie Reynolds, 
Um, who who else? Uh, Jake LaMotta, I think, was that year. And there was one more I forgot. Um, but <laughs> long story short, I have been picking Kirk Douglas for like five years in a row. Every year I say this is going to be the Kirk Douglas year. And uh, he just kept outliving everyone. It, it is truly remarkable. Um, every year this guy just defied the odds. I was reading his obituary a few days ago. Apparently this dude survived a helicopter crash had a stroke in like the 90s, a, a life-threatening stroke, uh, and then continued to act all the way up until 2004. And I just saw him at the Globes, I think, it, what was it, last year? And sure, he slurred his words like a man that's 103 should do, but he looked pretty good having lived a century, you know? Kirk Douglas, uh, just an incredible life, man. One of the great movie stars of all time. He is Spartacus. Um, he, he was in, uh, uh, pads of glory, you know, icon legend of the screen, larger than life, an incredible movie star, someone that we don't really have anymore. There really isn't a Kirk Douglas equivalent besides, I guess, Leo DiCaprio, but even he's more of a, you know, crawl around in the mud and get, uh, <laughs> get mauled by a bear actor. That's how he defines acting. Kirk Douglas was just like, yeah, I have a great chin and uh, the women love me, and I can read a monologue. And you know what? He was damn right. Rest in peace, Kirk Douglas. What a life, 103. Man, if I can live to 103, dude, there's no shot of that happening. What are the odds of that right now? If we were to look at Vegas, I am maybe a 75 to 1 underdog to live to 103. It's probably more than that. Yeah, there, there is a less than 1% chance I make it that far. Kirk, rest easy, buddy. Um, oh, should we talk F9? <laughs> Dude, my jaw hit the floor when Han walked into the picture. My jaw hit the fucking floor. Fast and Furious 9 coming this year. There was a Super Bowl spot for it. Featured some music from Kanye West. But the big event was the trailer drop, which I didn't even realize this. I would have watched it had I known. But um, they did like a televised concert event with like Wiz Khalifa and stuff. It was in Miami, I think. And they had like a concert and they dropped the trailer for F9. The Fast Saga. Dude, what a title, by the way. Dude, this, this this franchise is the best. I love a franchise. Everyone loves consistency, right? Everyone loves continuity. That's like the hot thing. Um, you know, the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Kevin Feige sort of perfected that, right? We're going to have continuity across all movies. This universe is going to make sense. A story from one movie will affect a story from another movie. There is coherence. There is synergy. Everything feels a part of a piece. There is a plan set in place. Um, I find that to be like a pretty boring way to approach filmmaking and like I don't like the DC movies but I don't think the DC movies are bad because they lack continuity I think the DC movies are bad because they're trying to replicate the Dark Knight I think the DC movies are bad because they took Zack Snyder as the uh, as the creative model as the as the guiding light as the North Star that's why the DC movies are bad it's not because they lack continuity like, Wonder Woman has nothing to do with Suicide Squad. But that movie works, and Suicide Squad doesn't. 
You know, same with Joker. Joker, I guess, is the best DC movie the last 10 years. But that's just a totally standalone story. Art house production, quote unquote, does not affect the main timeline, right? So I enjoy something like X-Men, which just constantly retcons itself, revises its history, brings new characters in, recasts some of the old roles, brings characters back to life, kills them off, splits it into multiple timelines. I'm cool with that. And that's what F9 is doing, apparently. Fast and Furious starts out as a movie about car racing, is now a movie about superheroes, essentially. Uh, Paul Walker was in some of the movies, not in some of the movies. Same with Vin Diesel. He sort of dipped in and out. Paul Walker dies. Vin Diesel carries on his legacy without him. They have changed the naming structure. There is no coherence with the naming structure. Can I roll this down from memory? Here are the nine fast movies. First, The Fast and the Furious. Second, my favorite title, Too Fast, Too Furious. Then you have Fast and Furious, colon, Tokyo Drift. Then part four, it's just Fast and Furious. It's a leaner title. You know what I'm saying? Back to basics, brah. Just drop the thes. That's Fast and Furious 4. Then you have Fast 5 with the alliteration, short and sweet. Then we go back to Fast and Furious 6, back to where we started. Then you have Furious 7, which drops the Fast, unlike Fast 5, which dropped the Furious. Then you have Part 8, The Fate of the Furious, which conceivably is a play on words, but the title does not implement the number 8 at all. You would think F8 of the Furious would be the correct spelling. No, that's just the fate of the Furious. No rhyme or reason to that. And now F9, colon, the Fast Saga. And Han is back. I'm totally fine with it. I'm totally cool. (laughs) Give me Michelle Rodriguez and Vin Diesel ziplining with a Maserati across a canyon. Dude, I'm so in. I audibly gasped like three times during that trailer. And I think Justin Lin is back too, right? Yeah, I think this is Justin Lin's return. So pumped for F9, if it is called that. I'm just hoping it's called that. They don't change it halfway through. Um, What else? What else? What else? I, I, I talked about the Super Bowl already on the Nico show. There were some cultural things going on there, including a commercial for Quibi, the micro streaming service. It is short for Quick Bits. And it's coming April 6th to a smartphone near you, short form entertainment that you're going to have to pay for. I think it's either $5.99 or $7.99. Those are the two tier pricing models. The most high profile show on the platform, I guess, is a remake of The Fugitive. They're doing The Fugitive again. And I just saw Demi Lovato was going to do a talk show on there called Pillow Talk. Kevin Hart is going to do a comedy with John Travolta. It's television shows that are all 10 minutes or less, streamable on a smartphone, designed for smartphones. I guess you're going to be able to turn your phone uh, portrait or landscape and affect what you see as part of the TV episode. So this is content made for the smartphone generation, a premium version of YouTube, if you will. All 10-minute clips, but narrative entertainment in streaming service form. This has been talked about in the industry for, 
I think several years now. I, I first read a story about this at least in like 2018, maybe even earlier than that. And the reason why it's uh, gaining such media attention is because Jeffrey Katzenberg is the creative force behind it. Jeffrey Katzenberg, the founder of Quibi, was CEO of Disney during the Disney Renaissance in the late 80s, early 90s, was also fundamental in uh, the creation of DreamWorks and DreamWorks Animation. He is a high-profile American film producer with a deep Rolodex and evidently a lot of seed money to form this thing called Quibi. I find this hysterical and like maybe I'm going to be proven so wrong and I'll be able to play this clip 10 years from now and it'll be like the guy that passed on Google stock in the 90s or the guy that thought Netflix would never succeed or the guy that laughed off Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak when they were creating Apple. It is possible that I look like history's greatest jackass, but Quibi to me makes no sense whatsoever. Here's how I see it, right? Like I get designing stuff for smartphones. That is how most media is consumed in America these days. Fine. Are people used to paying for short form entertainment? That's my question. Like the difference between something like this and Hulu, this and Netflix, this and Amazon Prime is that people are conditioned to pay for television shows. They already paid cable. They've cut the cord and they are more than happy to give Amazon Jeff Bezos 120 bucks a month for episodes of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel because it's cheaper than what Xfinity is offering them. It is cheaper than what HBO is offering them. Same with Netflix, same with Hulu. Like, to me, Quibi is not competing with Netflix. Quibi is not competing with Hulu. Quibi is not competing with Disney+. Plus. Quibi is competing with YouTube. Quibi is competing with Snapchat. Quibi is competing with Instagram Live. And people are not used to paying for short-form entertainment. As much as you want to tell them that this is high-quality Hollywood entertainment, as much as you want to sell people on the idea of Quibi earning Emmys in the 2020 Emmy season, this is just a more expensive YouTube, right? That's all this is. And people are not willing to pay a premium for YouTube. Or at least the people most likely to watch YouTube are not paying customers. They're kids that enjoy watching slime videos and PewDiePie. Quibi's competing with those guys. So I look again at something like Snapchat, which invested a lot of money in original programming. You've seen those Snapchat, uh, I don't know, what do you call those things? Those featured videos. I think like People Magazine does one and... Uh, TMZ has one, whatever. It's like infotainment short programming that you see underneath your Snapchat stories. I don't watch those. I don't know about y'all. I am not a loyal follower of uh, uh, of the Snapchat marketplace. Let me look what's what's under the uh, the Snapchat. <laughs> okay, so there's a Barstool Sports channel. I'm seeing Mojo, which is like a movie pop culture YouTube channel. WWE has one. MMA has one. ESPN has a lot of stuff on here. IGN is another one. This is all free entertainment. And it's informational. And uh, I, I suppose there is some scripted stuff on here. 
try not to laugh challenge. Dude, I don't I don't know what this is. Here's my point. I'm sure someone's watching them because they make money. I, I, Snapchat is still a publicly traded company. But it's going to be hard to reteach a consumer base to pay for something like Quibi. I really don't see it. Jeffrey Katzenberg obviously has a lot of talent at his disposal. His Rolodex is deep. A larger black book than most people in the business. Uh, I, I just have a hard time squaring this as a technology company and as an entertainment company. Can this be an effective film studio while also catering to the YouTube crowd? I don't know. I'm certainly not paying for Quibi. Let's put it that way. I will not be paying for Quibi when it launches on April 6th. But uh, I don't know. Someone must think differently. They've gotten this far. Sam Raimi is directing Doctor Strange. Um, This is uh, after the news of Scott Derrickson departing from the project a few months ago, citing creative differences. Derrickson directed the first Doctor Strange movie, uh, intended to make the second Doctor Strange movie a horrifying tale involving uh, sorcery and magic, I guess. I mean, he described it as a horror movie. I'm sure Kevin Feige and the powers that be at the Disney Corporation told him, yeah, sure, make your horror movie. But then behind closed doors was like, we're not actually going to let Scott Derrickson make a horror movie, are we? And I'm I'm sure they had a number of these creative meetings, went back and forth, and they're like, yeah, uh, you definitely want to make something that's a little more R-rated, and we want something that's more PG-13 because... We're Marvel, we're Disney, and we run the world, and uh, we haven't been wrong so far. And that's, okay, a fair argument. So he's leaving. Sam Raimi is stepping in in his place. Sam Raimi has not made a superhero movie since his original Spider-Man trilogy. He will seek redemption for Spider-Man 3. Uh, I am really excited about this. I gotta be honest with you. I am more excited about a Sam Raimi Doctor Strange movie than I am a Scott Derrickson Doctor Strange movie. And... Uh, maybe I'm crazy about that. And and maybe I am, again, engaging in wishful thinking. Thinking that Sam Raimi could actually put his artistic stamp on the MCU. But I am willing to let him try. Let's see what Sam Raimi's up to in 2021 with Doctor Strange. I am so, so, so in for this. Sam Raimi returning to Marvel scripted fair. Uh, and I think that is going to do it. Yeah. Do I want to talk about this Pee Wee Herman thing? Pee Wee Herman wants the Safdie brothers to <laughs> direct a, uh, a, a Pee Wee Herman reboot, a dark gritty Pee Wee Herman reboot. The Safties evidently are considering it. My friend Joe sent me this article this week, listener of the program. And he just says on, on Facebook, we were in a Facebook message, and he just goes, look what your culture has done to us. And I take full responsibility. And you know what? If the Safdie brothers end up directing this Pee Wee Herman bullshit, I will take full responsibility. And I will laugh as the world burns because Nico has finally won the pop culture war. <laughs> Dude, if the Safties actually do this shit, I don't even know what to say. Wow. Incredible. Uh, Jesus Rolls. Nah, I'm not going to talk about that. I'm going to pretend that movie doesn't exist. Friends Reunion. Yawn. Who cares? Uh, The Dune logo. Whatever. Yeah, that's it. That's pop culture. 
That's Hollywood in a nutshell. The Oscars coming this weekend. I will say this now. Check the website. Probably not today. I would say most likely late Saturday, early Sunday. You're going to see a written piece on the site. My rundown of each Oscar category. I will not be making any predictions in that column. Instead, I will run down all the major awards and say who I would vote for. Um, Because this year, I did something I've never done, which is watch every single movie nominated for any award at the Oscars. That includes Maleficent, Mistress of Evil, which I will be discussing in the blog post. I actually watched that. Um, so again, either late Saturday, early Sunday, expect that on the site, too many thoughts, media.com or tmt.media. I would appreciate a click and a few minutes of your time. Other than that, I love you. Happy Oscar weekend. Try to soldier through it. Try not to roll your eyes too much at the preachy celebrities. And just remember me sitting at home, Uh, making predictions and following this thing like the nerd that I am and perhaps it will bring a smile to your face I love you so very very much and come back next week you hear because then and only then will you and I get culture